Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Today on Truth and Movies, it's the end of the Marvel Cinematic Universe as we know it, but how do we feel about Avengers Endgame? If you don't mind my asking, where the hell have you been all this time? Then we go from Midgard to Middle School for Bo Burnham's teen drama 8th Grade. But, you know, if you have a favourite sauce and want more than one packet of it, you can have mine. I like all the sauces. And in Film Club, we return to arguably Marvel's finest hour, the timely tale of suspense, Captain America the Winter Soldier. You're not going to put me in a prison. You're not going to put any of us in a prison. All coming up in Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. Yes, hello everyone. This episode is brought to you by the letter E. We have Endgame and Eighth Grade coming up. (laughs) Dropping E's this week, we have Hannah Woodhead. Hi. And Campbell A. Campbell. Hello. How are we doing? Pretty good. Feeling overwhelmed? I feel like I've been away for a few weeks, so it's taking me a little moment to... You were in Japan, Yeah, right? Was that very recently? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was in Japan, had a great time, mm-hmm. lived my best life. Studied the blade. Studied the blade, much like uh, Hawkeye. Exactly, uh, yeah. <laughs> That's why I went. It was just to see, you know, all the locations that Jeremy Renner was gallivanting around. <laughs> anyway. So you've had your little sort of Ronin yeah, runaway there back. and you're back. Yeah, I've come back ready to um, save the world. Broodier than ever. <laughs> just in time. <laughs> My God, Hannah, is that a tattoo sleeve? <laughs> and a, like a, a weird kind of faux hawk. <laughs> faux hawk? And an under- Hannah, what's going on? <laughs> we should crack on with Avengers Endgame. So Endgame picks up right after last year's Infinity War, which ended with the Mad Titan Thanos snapping his fingers and turning half of the universe's population into dust. Now it's up to the surviving Avengers, including Iron Man, Captain America, Black Widow, Thor, Hulk, and newcomer Captain Marvel, to set things right. He used the stones again. Hey, we'd be going in short-handed, you know? Look, he's still got the stones, so... So let's get him. Use them to bring everyone back. Just like that? Yeah, just like that. Even if there's a, a small chance that we can undo this, I mean, we owe it to everyone who's not in this room to try. If we do this, how do we know it's going to end any differently than it did before? Because before you didn't have me. Hey, new girl, everybody in this room is about that superhero life. And if you don't mind my asking, where the hell have you been all this time? There are a lot of other planets in the universe. And unfortunately, they didn't have you guys. A clip from Endgame there. So I know there's lots of spoiler-phobic people out there. Maybe listeners uh, don't want to hear anything about this film before they go and see it. So let's do something differently. Let's start with our scores. So this would be in anticipation, enjoyment, in retrospect. Cam? Okay, so in anticipation, I've been feeling a little bit burned out. As much as I've enjoyed a lot of these movies, I've been feeling a little bit burnt out on them. So it was at a three. Mm -hmm. And then I watched it and I had a really great time. Mm -hmm. So enjoyment was a four. And in retrospect, I think I'm sticking out a four because it's a 
really satisfying conclusion. I don't really know what else to say. <laughs> well, we can dig further <laughs> yeah. shortly. Hannah? Like Cam, I was at kind of like a, a burnout phase. So we decided among the Little White Lies editorial staff that this is going to be my last MCU review for a little bit. I'm going to take a little bit of a break because I've done a lot recently and I'm just wanting to kind of stretch my legs a bit uh-huh. in terms of criticism. But I kind of was excited to go out with a bang. So, you know, a four, I'd say. You know, I think there's always a bit of trepidation when it comes with these things. And I was one of the people who was like, do we really need a three hour like cut of this movie? But enjoyment, I think it's like a solid five. I was like jaw on the floor for the majority of this film, just kind of lapping it up. And then in retrospect, I think it's a four, you know, I find it quite difficult to give these films fives in general and especially when you kind of know that they're just cogs in a bigger machine but I think it was like a very fitting end to Mm -hmm. what has been a very large portion of the blockbuster Mm -hmm. (laughs) sort of genre and of my own life so yeah oh you're handing in your gun and badge (laughs) so my scores for this five 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 I'm going there oh oh, on a (laughs) first watch yeah they've won me (laughs) back over the last four or five films and I couldn't be further in the pocket for Marvel. (laughs) I think this builds on Infinity War so well and I think offers that rare thing in this franchise, a fitting conclusion to narrative arcs, character arcs, everything. I think that this is the pinnacle of this form of superhero storytelling and if we're going to stop now, (laughs) I'll be thoroughly happy. I don't need to watch any more superhero movies after this. If suddenly they all disappeared... I, would, I wouldn't mind. Dust. I would say if they stopped right now, I would bump it up to a five. <laughs> I would be like, if they did suddenly turn around and said no, that's it, I'd be like, you know, think they're incredible. Done, they're going to go retire to a farm on a different planet. <laughs> <laughs> Put their hands through the grass like a Gladiator. <laughs> exactly. Everyone's doing it now. Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> yeah, <Everyone's> miserable. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's our immediate reactions, our scores tends to be quite positive around the table. If any listeners there haven't had a chance to see it yet, they want to go and see it, whatever, you can go away, pause the episode, come back, listen to our review, or skip forward to 8th grade. Because now, we're not going to go too deep into spoiler territory, but we will talk about some particulars. But let's start with that three-hour runtime. Hannah, you touched on this, but Cam, did this film need to be three hours? Is there enough in there? But having now watched it, I think it justifies the three-hour running time because it actually takes a lot of that time to kind of decompress from Mm. the usual... Normally they have like a, such a breakneck pace because they've got to fit in so much table setting and so many characters and the fact that the herd has been thinned down mm-hmm. pretty sufficiently this time they actually use like the extra hour to just let characters sit in their grief for a bit and actually work through a lot of their problems. In that respect it kind of recalled Age of Ultron for mm-hmm. me because it, that film was a lot more interested in the kind of inner turmoil of those characters but this kind of takes its longer running time to just fully explore that before the next kind of sci-fi whiz-bang stuff. So I think in the end it actually worked really well and it zips along anyway. It's one of those things, with Infinity War, that's a two and a half hour long film that really zipped along because you're just tying together scenes with all these characters that by now you have at least some sort of relationship with. And that's my main takeaway from this film. They really do care about these characters and you realise that they've made 22 of these films and not for nothing because you've been living with these characters for this long. It's surprisingly sincere. I thought Infinity War felt a little bit cynical. Um, Mm. It felt like pushing a lot of pieces into place and everyone just kind of felt, like you referred to earlier, like cogs in a machine. Mm -hmm. But in this one, it did feel like it was, it had a bit more, a lot more soul than Mm -hmm. Infinity War, I felt. I will say, though, that the three-hour running time, I did feel it in my back. (laughs) (laughs) Same. 
Yeah. So take a cushion. Yeah. Ta- yeah, take a cushion. Don't drink for 24 hours beforehand. I, maybe like one of those travel pillows like you get on airplanes. <laughs> Do not buy a large soda because like, <laughs> I don't want to get into the particulars of my bladder on this podcast. <laughs> but I'm, I usually am pretty like good at lasting through a three or four hour film. Mm-hmm. But I know that the Russo said there isn't going to be a good moment for you to go to the toilet. And I think that's very true. I think they are. It's all killer and no filler, as mm-hmm. they say, you know. It's still like filled to the brim with stuff. You don't really want to miss a moment of it because it's so fun and so so much going on and I'm, I'm super excited to go and watch it again because mm-hmm. I feel like there's so much I will get from it the second time now I've kind of got over the shock of, of watching it it's a lot to process in the moment mm. so what else can we talk about here <laughs> over the three hours you have this structure you've seen it in the trailers a suggestion that it's going to reckon with previous films in the franchise how do you stop Thanos you can't go forward you can only go back and how do we feel about is it fan service at this point or is it just good storytelling that they can go back and tinker with the past or talk about previous films I think it's a bit of both they handle that aspect of the second act as well as it can because it does introduce a mechanic that does introduce a kind of a a narrative problem in the same way that the Infinity Gauntlet does is like how do you uh, everyone's been talking about stakes a lot when it comes (laughs) to these movies and I'm going to have to do it again but there was a a, a lot of questions like how do you keep things believable and feeling kind of perilous when you've got things that can literally undo everything with with a literal snap of the fingers. Mm-hmm. So I think they handled that as well as they possibly could while having a lot of fun with like a classic sci-fi conceit. But I think in terms of the Marvel films, I think kind of the storytelling and the fan service are kind of inextricable from each other. A lot of this is very self-reflexive in a way that's quite indulgent, but mm. I was willing to forgive that because it was so wholehearted. And also like it, it felt very free of the usual table setting that Marvel has to do. It was nice that it was taking a look back rather than making us think about, oh, like, what comes next? Who's this character who showed up out of the shadows in the mm-hmm. post-credits? I'm kind of led myself onto a tangent because that's... <laughs> you, you, talking you, about this film you, kind you of... You get the sense that. that these filmmakers uh, you know, have a, a deep love and knowledge for the films and they know that the audience does as well and they want to pay that off. Mm. And you talk about stakes... The Marvel Cinematic Universe doesn't really work in the way that many contained narratives do, other sci-fi films, fantasy films, because you have such powerful characters and because this is going to be an elongated story that will drag on until we're long gone (laughs) you could only have personal stakes and I think that's what they nail down here that every character and there's quite a deep ensemble here has some kernel of personal narrative here for them. Mm. Yeah, that's what I think works so well about it is that they bring those kind of inner traumas to the forefront especially in the first hour and even in the second act it's great because it uses that time where they're looking back at all of these characters past with that trauma in mind that's always on our minds when they're looking back at their past there's a lot of like kind of regret tinged scenes as well as like them having some fun Mm -hmm. with marvel's past yeah and you have you know the guilt of being a survivor you may be earth's mightiest heroes but you failed so you have you know the the first half hour 45 minutes of broken characters and again getting the band back together and where do you find your hope i think that's a really sort of classic superhero trope the idea of like what do you do when you fail how do you Mm -hmm. pick up the pieces but it's so kind of nice to see it delivered by such a competent competent sounds like a diss (laughs) but like you know a a cast who are so supremely talented and I think it's quite easy to forget that sometimes Mm. in comic book movies because it is just a lot of like 
you know, whiz bangs and um, flashy costumes. But, you know, when you've got sort of Robert Downey Jr., Mark Ruffalo, Chris Evans, Scarlett Johansson, like getting these chances to do like quite dramatic Mm. scenes and like scene delivery you remember like wow these guys are are very very good actors and it's nice that they kind of have the room to do that and I think that's what the three hour time allows Mm -hmm. you know the only thing I will say is that Alan Silvestri like chill out man like (laughs) there's some scenes in this film and I think they use they've become a lot less afraid of silence in Marvel films because I think the earlier ones it is kind of like this constantly score going on songs going on and yeah it's like this is a sad scene here's the music to let you know when they start talking then the kind of the strings start rising (laughs) and I'm like no Alan (laughs) Um, so I will say like there's still a little bit of that I just hear in the background his little like violin like it's like you don't need to do it all the time especially Mm -hmm. because not only are humans like quite intelligent and can tell (laughs) quite but like we've seen so many of these films we know like and I think it's more shocking in a Marvel film when you hear nothing no kind Mm -hmm. of like music no ACDC like sorry but like Like, I've had it up to here with like classic rock in these films (laughs) Angus Young is crying somewhere I mean to be fair it was Rolling Stones this time it was Doom and Gloom um, late period Rolling Stones on the soundtrack I was surprised (laughs) I didn't think think Tony Stark's uh, record collection went this way that's how depressed he was (laughs) he was like you know what I'm going forward this is the thing I want to call it a cold open but that's like a term normally reserved for TV TV, but that opening it's just the actors talking yeah, that's uh, which is yeah. it is so great and which had me really frustrated when they would have scenes of a similar kind of vibe and then they just couldn't resist and yeah. it's it's frustrating because it's like they don't trust the audience to process these feelings properly even though it shows so much trust in mm. them in other respects where it's like just visual allusions to scenes from Marvel movies from six years ago and without any huge prompts and it's like if you can trust people to know what this is you can also trust them to feel one way about a scene without leading them through it yeah. with Alan Silvestri's hand so, so if Alan's the weak link <laughs> he's in not the chain. I mean yeah he's still great but you know Alan I always think about that you know that bit in Lady Bird where they've just finished listening to the Grapes of Wrath on um, audiobook and Lady Bird's mum says let's just sit with what we've heard like that, that is like how I feel about these films and it was at the end of um, Infinity War when you have the snap and it's just silent. And I think there's something so beautiful about that in, in blockbuster filmmaking when they kind of do pair it back. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of scenes in this film where I think they do a similar thing with the like there's a great scene early on with Scott Lang, which is just kind of like uh, it reminded me of Twenty Eight Days Later when yeah. Killian Murphy's yes. like walking yeah. through the uh, desert London and I do think it's like doing a lot of interesting things that I kind of maybe wouldn't expect a Marvel film to do. That We were talking about the cold open. It's bleak. It's, yeah, it's really bleak. It's, it's incredibly well, the, bleak. What we can say about the cold open is it's, it shows the snap happening to one of the characters and yeah. what they lose in that moment. I so. love how it does it as well, where it is just that people just disappear. And then mm. the, there's the whole thing of the people who disappeared being referred to as the vanished, and you kind of get that feeling where it's just, these people are just gone in an instant, and it's so hard to process that kind of grief, and I love that it yeah. just leaves you with that going into the film. There was a long stretch of these films, and we'll talk <laughs> about it again with The Winter Soldier, where it became very de rigueur for the filmmakers to say, oh, this isn't a superhero movie, this is a genre. This is a political thriller. Political thriller, or this is actually a buddy <laughs> comedy. It's a, it's a yeah. cosmic space adventure. This film actually does have many of these 
genres in there you just don't realize that that first hour feels like a dystopian sci-fi apocalyptic mm. sci-fi it turns into a time traveling heist movie for a middle hour and then becomes just the biggest of the boldest blockbuster spectacle at the end all in one movie and I, it makes me think that these specifically these last two avengers movies have been the best of the marvel universe and the characters and the actors as you say are having their best moments here mm. and it is moments and we've been saying that in the 24 hours since we've seen the film, little moments, little lines come in. Payoffs for things that have been residing in our cinematic memory for 10 years now from Iron Man 1 onwards are being resolved and paid off here it's fantastic of the three hours of this movie like two hours of it is just payoff yeah. <laughs> exactly it's, it's very thoroughly satisfying punching the air applauding it's fantastic oh yeah yeah there are so many moments where you're just kind of like are they gonna do that and then they do it and you're like huh, yeah. huh they, they did the thing i'm very so, so, i'm very happy <laughs> so cam why not a five i think that the film does have it's marvel's most marvel film for better and for worse <laughs> for me um I mean, it is handling a lot of different tones at the same time, and I think it does that very well. But I think my main problem is that, like, despite resisting it for so long, it's quite different to the past Avengers movies in that it has those kind of three very clear segments, Mm -hmm. one of which is mostly just people talking, the other which is a time heist. Mm -hmm. And then the last one is a little bit disappointingly conventional for me. Mm -hmm. I think especially in... There's about 10 minutes of the usual big CGI throwdown Mm. when, like Hannah said in her review, there's a fight scene that takes place almost immediately before that that is much more kind of viscerally satisfying when it's just kind of mano a mano Mm -hmm. stuff. It's really good because the Russos have shown before that they are good at coordinating all of the movements and how the characters work together and how their kind of power sets work. They have like a very clear understanding of that. And I think it works better when it's just reduced down to a handful of characters. But when it's everyone on screen in this big CGI kind of mess, as much as there are moments that are worthy of punching the air, I think it's just I was a little bit disappointed that they didn't find a way to work around that when they had for the previous like two and a half hours. By this stage, I don't go to Marvel for action, really. Uh, It's it's for character moments and the fact that they can just hinge these huge scraps on these single moments that are, are worth focusing in on. For me, the final sequence here, and I'm going to pull a very strange reference, but I think you two will understand it. There's the opening cutscene of a, of a Smash Brothers Nintendo game, <laughs> where usually there's a pan across an entire landscape with the dozens of characters from all of the Nintendo video games they're pulling together into this one battle. And that is what this film mm. finally pays off, where you know you realise how many great characters... Hugely have... resisting the urge to sing the ultimate theme song right now. <laughs> <laughs> but you realise just how many characters are in this universe, and you want to see them all together and it's the sort of thing that comics have been able to do very well but Marvel and Disney behind them have played their cards so carefully so they can finally do this after 10 years yeah I mean I appreciate the splash page vibe but I think it is when when it's in this kind of burnt out landscape where oh, everything true. is kind of brown and everyone the color palettes of every, everyone's very colorful costumes are kind of like toned down in that bit it's just mm. it does it looks a lot less distinctive than mm-hmm. a lot of the things that came before it. But like in comparison to some of the other big fights, especially in Infinity War, this feels a lot more snappy mm-hmm. and brief. Yeah. And some of the hell yeah moments are real good. Um, really so good. it's yeah. it's like the biggest qualm I have that it still falls into some of its usual trappings despite showing a lot of kind of smart self reflexivity mm-hmm. before that. 
The one but thing then, yeah. I will say as well about that final fight scene, there's a moment in it where like it's like this one's for the ladies and um, yeah. <laughs> God, oh, I'm so tired. Can Marvel please just hire some women? Because like it was the most sort of cringe inducing like ladies, we heard you like superheroes. Here are a bunch of lady superheroes. And I was just like They did the same thing in Infinity War. <laughs> they yeah. did, they did. And, well, I think, like, maybe that's why it was more offensive this time. Because I was like, guys, you we did know this what you're once. Doing. Like, we know what you're doing. It's like, especially after Captain Marvel, you're kind of like we know you don't understand women like you don't need to keep pointing it out like you know it's just and especially because I think that Black Widow has like really nice character development all the way through the film and um Karen Gillan's character oh Nebula yeah. Nebula and Nebula like who has gone from being kind of a character who I didn't really care about in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies to like kind of having more to her she's a very kind of soulful part of this film mm. yeah like it the, a lot of the Nebula stuff is really good but you're so right in that between this and Captain Marvel and I guess that's a bit in Infinity War it's very kind of outdated girl power sort of scenes yeah. when a lot of it feels much more natural before that I guess it is a superhero movie so you can kind of just be like ah comic books whatever it feels self-conscious yeah. in a way they probably don't need to because elsewhere in this film they have returning characters who you may have forgotten about who have incredible one scene or one sequence appearances which we won't spoil us there is a way uh, to work in a moment like that yeah exactly especially because you also have a character in this film who has been there kind of from the beginning who gets her kind of like a great big moment and um, you know th- these moments kind of already exist you don't need to then like throw in something that feels totally manufactured to mm-hmm. like be, this one's for the ladies yeah to basically ladies. be a, the like a still for you know a PR thing like that's what it felt like. it felt like a yeah like a boots advertising campaign <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> Hannah I'm very aware that this is you closing the book on superhero movies I, I, I feel like I've said that and like backed myself into a corner now no, I, you, I'll be on the podcast it, to talk about it's it it's on like, record now yeah, I, so, I do want to take a break from writing. Some about them. final comments on the the cinematic universe to date. Your experiences with them. Well, when I got my job at Little I Lies, um, I remember David saying to me, "One of the reasons we hired you was that you know how to talk about Marvel movies." I think there's an art to it that a lot of like very very good critics don't kind of have pinned down, and I'm not saying that I do, but you know. You have to kind of go into these films with an open mind and an open heart. You can still be cynical about the Disney machine and, Mm -hmm. you know, and the fact that these movies make an inordinate amount of money. And it it does upset me to think that independent movies struggle to find even like a hundredth of a budget for a Marvel movie. But... You know, I first saw Iron Man when I was, what, 15? I can't pretend that these movies haven't, like, shaped the way I think about cinema. They haven't shaped my enjoyment of cinema. My brother and sister, who aren't engaged in film, like, we've spent so many hours watching these films Mm. together. So, you know, for me, they are a huge part of my life. And as much as I adore them, and they've helped me find other movies that I might not have even known existed before I watched a, you know, a Marvel movie and saw some obscure reference to it. I think that's my personal growth is deciding that I kind of want to take a little break from writing about these films and move on to other things. But, mm-hmm. you know. Take a break for three weeks, four weeks, and then the new <laughs> Spider-Man movie comes out, maybe. Well, you know, it's my, it's my boy Jake Gyllenhaal again. So. <laughs> I brought him up again on this podcast. Final comments, Cam. Following on from what Hannah said, I think because there's not really anything like the MCU in terms of blockbuster filmmaking, I think we're still figuring out how to talk about them properly, especially with the kind of 
uh, we're kind of at the nadir of um, spoiler culture. Um, <laughs> and then there's also the kind of monoculture around Marvel as well, where it seems to be that everyone has their mind made up one way or another before they go in. So like even with people who skew more positive might be very hostile to people who have a less than high opinion of it. The classic like, oh, you must be fun at parties, like kind of, like <laughs> tired, really frustrating discourse that is around it and vice versa. I think it's definitely better to go into these things with a healthy amount of skepticism, especially considering like kind of the corporate hand of Disney, yeah. <laughs> especially since the Fox merger. Before I kind of go off on an anti-capitalist uh, tirade or something, I did enjoy, ultimately enjoy this film a lot. I think it's just that we need to we need to get better at talking about them, I guess. <laughs> and that's purely a, a conversation for us critics, really. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, for me, my re- relationship with this movie is the same person who was seven or eight years old watching whatever I guess seven or eight years old I'll be watching Batman and, and Robin yeah, so, so a, a, a less good superhero film but uh, I've been excuse watching excuse me <laughs> I've been watching these films all my life and I think as, as popular cinema this is fantastic I just yeah. watched Venom the other night and Venom is oh, fun but a bad times. movie <laughs> the Marvel Cinematic Universe I think has now found a way for these films to deliver and, and build and go from strength to strength and I think this is a very fitting turning the page for them yeah. I'm saying. Yeah. it's nice that it feels like they've kind of closed the loop on the whole thing mm-hmm. it does um, kind of watching these films does strike a chord with me partly because of my nostalgia for things like watching Iron Man when I was growing up I think I watched it when I was like 10 or something mm-hmm. and also the feeling of reading comic books like you can almost imagine like editors notes popping up in mm-hmm. uh, little points it's a hell of a thing to have grown up with exactly and it captures the thrill of reading a comic book crossover for me perfectly Let's finish on Endgame now. You knew our Mm -hmm. scores, but let's just very quickly recap them. I was a five across the board. Cam, you were? I was a three, four, four. Hannah? Four, five, four. Fantastic. Let's move on to a film that's a little bit smaller scale, but (laughs) has no less impact. Eighth grade. This teen movie debut from writer-director Bo Burnham follows Kayla, an introverted 13-year-old, as she comes to the end of her tenure at middle school. With high school on the horizon, Kayla endures a tidal wave of contemporary suburban adolescence, from the overwhelming, ever-present influence of social media to the age-old horror of socialising with others. You, uh, you like chicken nervous, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. I got a 20-piece, and I also got two of every kind of sauce. But, you know, if you have a favourite sauce and want more than one packet of it, you can have mine. I like all the sauces equally. Thanks. Oh, and the nuggets have been sitting out for a little bit because, you know, I didn't know when you'd be here. So just, uh, you know, tell me if they're too cold and I can heat them up in the microwave over there, okay? Okay. Yeah. Oh, whoops, sorry. I left this out by accident. Sorry, it's so stupid. Uh, no problem. You want to see it? No, wait, no, it's stupid. Sure. Okay, yeah. Cool. What is it? Oh, well, I go to archery camp every summer, and last summer I got five bullseyes in a day, so, you know, they gave me the Sharpshooter of the Week award. That's actually really cool. Eh, not really. It's it's stupid. Um, I think it's really cool, but, yeah. Nah, well, I think it's stupid. Yeah. Hannah, you review this with White Lies, and your conclusion says, Many filmmakers have tried and failed to do what Burnham has achieved in this remarkable debut. So, what has he achieved, <laughs> and how does he achieve it? I think he's made a pretty perfect teen movie, which I think in 2019 or 2018 when the film came out in America is a very hard thing to do. I think mm. 
it's a saturated genre it's something that has still i think the shadow of john hughes looms very large and a lot of filmmakers just try and make john hughes movies which doesn't really work in 2019 for a whole litany of reasons and i was the most skeptical person when i heard about this film because i don't really like bo burnham's comedy mm. um and, you know, the last thing I think we need generally is more white men making films about teenage girls. You know, it's kind of like, well, really? But I saw this for the first time last April at Sundance London, last May, whatever. Uh, it's like a year ago. Mm. And it still, to me, is is a, a pretty perfect movie. It's funny. It's sincere. It really feels like a movie that was made knowing like the kids it's talking about and you know that is a really hard thing to do it's hard to not kind of get all Steve Buscemi and 30 Rock and be like how do you do fellow kids but that film doesn't feel like that it feels Mm. like something that is a part of the culture it's talking about rather than like looking in like Mm. a kind of Louis Theroux expose you know it's kind of remarkable in how authentic it is I suppose Bo Burnham kind of has the um kind of resume of being on both on Vine and YouTube so he's kind of he knows vlog culture inside and out but it, it's probably the best example of kind of a Gen X teen movie I don't think there's been one of this quality and authenticity before because it seems like he was letting the kids take the lead a little bit with this one like there's a lot of kind of improv lines from oh, really? a lot of the teenagers yeah. in it like just one of the running jokes if you listen like in pretty much every scene you can hear a kid in the background going LeBron James <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> and, um, and that was just a, something that the kid was doing on set so he just like left it in and got That's him so to keep doing it had, yeah when I interviewed both for a little while I was, I was asking him about the jokes and like the pop culture references and like which ones he didn't understand and he was like yeah I didn't know why they were shouting LeBron James and um, the other thing which which is Kayla's like sign off. She does this kind of like okay gesture and says yeah. Gucci, which apparently is a thing that Elsie Fisher would just do on set when she was nervous. She'd be like, oh. okay, Gucci. And um, both thought it was so funny that he like incorporated it into the film. I find that so fascinating because this is very much a, a structured and written film as well. Mm. It has these chapter points where it's um, Kayla, Elsie Fisher's character, doing her vlogs to camera. And it feels like those vlogs are so scripted. It feels like he's employing every single like and kinder to create this sense of of, of this slightly shy girl trying to fight out of her shell to, to present herself to the world on YouTube. So it's interesting to see that tension. There's, there's so many tensions throughout the film stylistically. You think in the description here about an introverted girl at high school that this might be a small sort of a gem type Mm. film but also many of the stylistic strategies he uses are quite bold and brash and loud. There's a very dissonant score, a loud score employed throughout a great effect. The score is incredible for this. Um, Again, I don't want to like rabbit on too much about my interview with Bo Burnham but he was saying that he loved Anna's work Mm -hmm. and there's a pool party scene in this film which I think is like one of the greats which is shot like a horror movie it's, yeah, it's incredible and um, they use this track called Nautilus by Anna Meredith and he said that when he made the film that track was always there that mm. was the only piece of music that he imagined and it's like the oh, Jaws yeah. music it, it's yeah. so kind of like <laughs> evocative and every time I hear it now I go back to that pool scene where Kayla walks in in this like lime green one piece and she's just like overwhelmed by the sight of all these kids like kind of like slow-mo thrashing Mm -hmm. around and everything and it is the high school experience it is as someone who was a very miserable very awkward teenage girl it kind of got into my bones and I was like oh my god I can't believe that someone 
basically has made a film about what it was like for me. But I think the joy of this movie is that it isn't insular like that, mm-hmm. you know, you don't just have to be a teenage girl, a former teenage girl or a current teenage girl to enjoy it. I think it is something for everyone there. And a lot of the anxiety and the hang-ups in the movie are things that are universal. And this it, it's incredible to me that such a kind of like tiny experience can have that kind of width mm-hmm. and depth to it. Yeah, and he uses so many of those strategies to really nail some very specific things. There's a mm. sequence very early on where it's uh, late in the evening and Kayla gets into bed and she's scrolling through social media on her laptop and then closes it and then goes straight to her phone to continue scrolling <laughs> through. And it's set to the Enya banger, all-time banger, <laughs> Orinoco or flow. And it's a big sort of cheesy soundtrack cue, but it works so well about this constant <laughs> barrage of, of media that we, ha- that we have nowadays. And I do that all the time. I go from my laptop to my phone to my iPad. Just I to... <laughs> think there's a lovely quote from Bo about that song where he says, I always thought that Enya knew what the internet would sound like. And it's such <laughs> a like, uh, yeah, yeah, that is like very true. And that song, like when I was speaking to him, I asked like why he chose that because I think it's not a song that kids today like you know 13 year olds aren't, aren't going out and buying any <laughs> albums and he was like yeah but it's one of those songs that's got that kind of like timeless quality to mm. it you could if it came out now you'd be like yeah sure why not <laughs> you've, you've got me thinking a bit too deeply now those orchestral stabs of the melody could almost sound like notification pop-ups you know <laughs> What did she know? Had she seen the future? Enya back in the late 80s? Somebody needs to get on the phone to Enya and find out. (laughs) Let's talk about Elsie Fisher, who is getting a lot of attention on this film. She hasn't been in anything before, has she? This is her first lead feature Mm -hmm. role. She's best known as Agnes in Despicable Me. Oh. Um, She's been acting since she was like three, Mm -hmm, but... mm -hmm. I feel like her agent. I'm like (laughs) giving you a little breakdown of her career. But yeah, I I spoke to her as well. So we did talk about this because I said like, you know, it's such a huge role. And, you know, how did that feel? And and she told me that she was going to quit acting before this because she was so kind of disillusioned. I got to be disillusioned at 13. It's, It's incredibly depressing to me. But she kind of liked the idea that this was very real and very authentic. And... I think the reason it feels like that is because it is, you know, she's this girl that's had these experiences and these insecurities and I don't know where Kayla stops and where Elsie begins in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. I think that Elsie's probably more together than Kayla. Yeah. But I think she kind of puts so much of herself into this character and it really comes through. It, it's not a self it's not a self-conscious performance but I think it kind of is I think it has to be because teenage girls are incredibly self-conscious I read an interview with with Bo Burnham where he said that out of the hundreds of girls they auditioned all of the other actors seemed like they were confident people trying to act shy whereas Elsie Fisher in her audition seemed like a shy person trying to act confident and that is a perfect encapsulation (laughs) of her performance where she is throughout trying to well her, her YouTube channel is all about self-help maxims how to put yourself out there and all that and you see her try and do that in this final week of middle school to try and finally get friends put herself out there be true to herself the kind of nice thing is about this film and i would say also another film that's coming out book smart in a couple of weeks time which i'm sure we'll be talking about kayla's not bullied or anything you Mm. know it's not a film about that it's a film about just 
being invisible, which I think is a much more universal struggle. You know, it's not that other kids are mean to her or anything, not in any way other than the way teenage girls are. It's more just, yeah, that feeling of not kind of knowing how to put yourself out there and how to kind of connect with people, Mm -hmm. which I think is something that... A, a lot of teenagers struggle with, but I think a lot of adults struggle yeah. with it now. There's a lot of that baby boomer like, oh, even though the internet is uh, is connected us all, we're more distant than ever. <laughs> and and that you do kind of get that. There's these great scenes where the kids will just be on their phones, like staring at their phone, like having a conversation. And when she's talking to her dad as well, he's like kind of like, oh, I didn't put the phone down for two seconds. And she's like, no, because your life is inside the phone. Yeah. When, you know, I think that's true for everyone. It, it does really well to kind of capture the anxieties that come with having to project an image of yourself at pretty much all times of the day or like seeing the projected images of other people i think it does really well to deal with that a lot of people are kind of living double lives in a sense in that there's the person who walks around every day and then there's the person they want everyone to think that they are and like you said it's not a team movie with any like villains or anything it's quite a humanist thing and how it it's it kind of says that everyone's going through their own stuff. Uh, we're just kind of seeing it from the point of view of one person. And it's nice that we're getting a lot of teen movies lately that are from the kind of subjective point of view of teenage girls at kind of different points of like transition in their life. So there was like, this is kind of like Gen X Ladybird to me. <laughs> and then there's Booksmart coming out next month, which is a very similar kind We'll of have feeling. to see what that's like. It may That lack of conflict in the second half. I watched this film, I think the day before, the day after re-watching Kids, which we saw, which we, did, we discussed on Film Club a week or two ago. And this is a film that couldn't be more different. And it may seem that this film is maybe more small or Mm. precious or specific, but what is achieved is quite powerful. There's another scene later in the film where it just shows the absolute agony of being the quiet person in a group of friends who are talking very excitedly. And you're there on on the corner of the table, and that's very relatable, I guess. And there's a scene that I think is incredibly powerful where Kayla... She starts hanging out with these older kids mm-hmm. and she meets a boy who seems very nice and they kind of, the way they deal with this idea of having, of wanting to grow up before you're ready to grow up is really like poignant to me. And again, like Bo Burnham's using these kind of like very specific genre techniques on what is, you know, a teen movie. Yeah. And um, I don't want to like spoil it for anyone who's going to watch the film, but it is this really specific interaction that I think a lot of especially teenage girls have been through with an older boy where you're kind of trying to be the person that the movies have said you should be and social media has said you should be and it it breaks your heart watching it because you're like if I could tell my 14 year old Hmm. self about this it would be the end of all my problems if I could go back in a time heist and fix everything you know it's kind of stunning that um, in the states that it was rated an R because of some mm. of the more explicit jokes that were in there when um, most of the actors are the actual age of yeah. this and because like you said this is a film that is so kind of understanding and authentic of the experience of being at that age in the now that it probably would help a lot of people to see it and then being barred from that because someone makes like a blowjob joke is insane it's the same thing that happened with Diary of a Teenage Girl when that came out which was rated 18 because of the sexual content and (laughs) it really speaks to a lack of common sense with um, the BBFC and uh, whoever does the ratings in America Mm -hmm. where you know they're evaluating these films based on boxes a checklist of like does it contain this amount of swear words does it contain 
this sort of risque humour and they're failing to kind of realise the way that these films are engaging with their subject and engaging with their intended audience. I think Diary of a Teenage Girl and Eighth Grade both are really important films and if I had seen them as a teenager they kind of would have helped me a lot to navigate the kind of infinitely horrible world of being an adolescent. Because of that feeling of it being so universal, it says like that you're not the only person who experiences this specific kind of feeling. And also it's like back to the ratings thing, it feels like it's so clearly based on what they think kids should be consuming rather than through a realistic what kind kids of, are oh, consuming. Like, they're, talking, like, they're talking about this stuff anyway, like growing up in the now you hear some pretty foul stuff. Yeah, yeah God, even uh, yeah, even when I was a kid, yeah, you know, the conversations we were having were way worse than what they're talking about in this film. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Babying people in this way like doesn't really help anybody, especially when it's cutting off access to a film that could be like really, it really genuinely like, life changing for someone. Yeah, I, I think that's another thing that I when I was going back to what I said in my review about this being quite a remarkable thing for a director to achieve. I think often when you're in adult making a film about teenagers you're looking down on them and this feels like not down on them as in like judging them but like you are your lens is physically mm-hmm. higher than them they're small <laughs> this feels like Bo Burnham who is like 6'5 or something has like mm-hmm. got down on the level you know the camera is at eye height it feels like we are gaining a window into what it's like to be this way rather than like what we think it's like mm-hmm. this does feel very nuanced and there are a lot of like contemporary references like like the kind of the dabbing and the it's gonna be lit and oh. the, you know all these kind of like things that I think a lot of parents will be like what and a lot of kids will be like oh yeah that's we don't say that anymore yeah, but yeah. Um, it doesn't feel like something that can date because you know this is something every generation goes through every generation feels this kind of like disassociated way and it's just about the general anxiety of growing up mm-hmm. rather than being this specific five-year, ten-year period. It's nice that it's not too judgmental about, like, kids today. Yeah, <laughs> God, yeah, yeah. So refreshing to be like, what's the deal with social media? Like, it, it's, you I know. mean, it does make me feel old, partly because of the whole vibe where it's uh, kids who are, like, constantly on Snapchat and it's like, oh, Facebook is for olds. Yeah. <laughs> Things like, like that. Oh, I just, have a Facebook. Just feeling, <laughs> I'm feeling that generational gap. It's not quite me, but... Um, and you yeah, get the sense the kids are going to be okay as well, which is really nice, you know. Right. I think between this and Greta Thunberg and um, the kids walking out for climate change, it really, not that I didn't have faith in them before, but it, it really does prove that the kids that are growing up today really do know what they're about and they have their head screwed on and they're not going to die because they're on Snapchat a lot, you know. Like, if anything, they're learning... things going on. <laughs> <laughs> if anything, they're learning to navigate the world a lot faster than we did and maybe they're having to grow up quicker, but, you know, we live in scary times and there's a scene where they have an active shooter drill in mm. Kayla's school, which is really, really heartbreaking, but for them, it's just kind of like an average day. They're mm. all very laconic about it and that is what should be scary to people, that kids are growing up in a world where they're just like shrugging about this if i could take one thing away from this it's that politicians would watch this movie and think we need to change the way we are acting as a society to raise these kids we should be doing more to help these kids and they do that by taking away their phones (laughs) (laughs) well yeah and dictating if they can see smoking on screen oh boy anyway (laughs) fascinating to see if this film does have a long tail it's not going to 
make Endgame numbers at the box office. No, Listen, you can I watch would. this twice in the same amount of time you could watch Endgame. Yeah. But it, it will have a long tail on streaming services and rental yeah. platforms I mean, where kids will be able to access it, of course. The fact that this came out, this, this premiered at Sundance like last January mm-hmm. and it's just coming out in the UK, which I think kind of... The fact that I'm still like very excited about this film and like very much like championing it, and I have a short attention span, so like you know that proves it's good. Um, but I would like really like heartfeltly beg anyone that is going to give their coin to Disney this weekend to also give their coin to this film. It is just okay. such a. Gem. I've heard that there's a law that if you don't do that, you'll go straight to jail. With no <laughs> Movie jail. <laughs> And I think that Kayla Day and uh, Thor would be buds. I, you know, I think Thor is a, a teenage girl in the body of like a Norse god. Now that's a crossover that would be good to see. <laughs> Let's put some scores on this, Hannah. I love my large teenage daughter. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a four in anticipation. Heard really good things out of Sundance and was super excited to see it last summer. I initially gave it a four in my review for enjoyment, but I'm going to bump it up to a five now. I've seen it like more times. Mm-hmm. I think it really doesn't lose any of its potency on rewatch which is pretty incredible and then yeah five in retrospect Mm -hmm. i really think it goes in the canon of great movies about teenage girls alongside uh, diary of a teenage girl and edge of 17 which is another Mm. cracker Okay. I think I was at a four for anticipation because I have enjoyed the comedy of Bo Burnham in the past. <laughs> I'm looking at Hannah while I say this. No judgment. Um, not at all. Um, and I was really interested into how that work translated into a feature film, and I think it did very well, so my enjoyment was at a five. In retrospect, I think maybe a four, I think just because I've got there's a lot of distance between me and the last time I saw this film, but there are still things that just stuck in my memory especially things like the pool scene. I think it's just a really wonderful, sympathetic, humanist film. Mm-hmm. I'd say it's, it's fours across the board for me here. Very well reviewed on the festival circuit. I couldn't wait to see it. And it was a, perhaps a smaller and more specific film than I thought, but I can't wait to watch it again. And it should grow, I think, as we, oh, as yeah. we go. <laughs> anyway, eighth grade gets a passing grade from us around the table. And that's a really strong release week if you want your big blockbuster cinema or you want your small indie films. You Maybe, yeah, why not yeah, have both? Have a day at the cinema. But now we're going to go for film club. We're going to go 10, 13 films back in the MCU. Ooh, all the way. Like five years. 13? Exactly. All the crazy? way back to Captain America, The Winter Soldier. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com.
Now, Captain America the Winter Soldier was only the ninth film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> only. And the first sequel for Steve Rogers. It deals with Cap's acclimatisation to the modern day after being thawed out at the end of the first Avenger and sees him contend with the complexities of contemporary politics as his idealistic views start to clash. Why haven't we yet heard from Captain Rogers? I don't know what there is left for him to say. I think the rock in the middle of the Potomac made his point fairly eloquently. Well, he could explain how this country is expected to maintain its national security now that he and you have laid waste to our intelligence apparatus. Hydra was selling you lies, not intelligence. Many of which you seem to have had a personal hand in telling. Agent, you should know that there are some on this committee who feel, given your service record, both for this country and against it, that you belong in a penitentiary not mouthing off on Capitol Hill. You're not gonna put me in a prison. You're not gonna put any of us in a prison. You know why? Do enlighten us. Because you need us. Yes, the world is a vulnerable place. And yes, we help make it that way. But we're also the ones best qualified to defend it. So if you want to arrest me, arrest me. You'll know where to find me. Okay, so Captain America the Winter Soldier, how has this grown in the minds of our listeners? Any comments, Cam? Here's Jake Cunningham with a very astute point. It's a secret political thriller. Uh, ah. as uh, yeah, didn't get that before. Uh, <laughs> and, and I've heard that Logan is a Western yeah. as well. Really? Kind of a bit of a samurai movie as oh, well, you know, yeah. yeah. I heard, someone told me that Ragnarok's a space opera. <laughs> I'm not sure about that. <laughs> uh, just to be clear... Jake is joking. <laughs> um, it's a kind of the Russo self defined the Winter Soldier as being something akin to like the Manchurian candidate. Or and the it's Three like, Days of the Condor or all yeah, those films. It's like a kind of big, very big names to kind of put your movie up against from the beginning. But I think it has more of a flavouring of that. It really is. I must say, rewatching that now, it halves my enjoyment of the film to know that they think they're making a political thriller in the very <laughs> They could have just left it up, they could have said nothing. Because it's this is such a goofy film at the end when it comes down to it. This is this big flying <laughs> aircraft carriers. To, yeah. You've got to fit the There's uh, a man who is a falcon. It's okay to be a superhero movie. There's yeah. a would have got the flavouring by ourselves. There's a Nazi AI and a supercomputer with a USB oh, hub and so, all this stuff. So ridiculous. <laughs> uh, Any more comments, Hannah? Yeah, we had a great comment from uh, the Hipster Llama on Twitter. It starts off being an interesting political thriller about surveillance and civil liberties and all that jazz, but then forgets it all for more running, punching and generally blowing up of everything in sight. Two men resolve their complex conflict by repeatedly punching each other. <laughs> Which is so true. And kicking each other. There's lots of good kicking in oh, this film. There's good kicks. Um... <laughs> I mean, the action in this is very well choreographed, but yeah, yeah, I think I would have preferred that a lot of the wrongdoing was not just up to secret Nazis, though that does <laughs> ring to strike a better chord with me today as opposed to when I first watched it. It does feel like a walking back of any significant point that the film might have made. It takes a very complex conflict and reduces it to the point where Cap literally quips, if they're shooting at you, they're bad, not <laughs> rather than there's like, the surveillance state is a complicated beast and things like that. Yeah. And I think as well, because in, in Civil War, we'd get more of a flavour for the way that uh, Cap is navigating the very, like, difficult, knotty terrain of American politics now with, like, what he thought he was fighting for in the Second World War. I think the good thing that this film does is give Chris Evans and give uh, Steve Rogers kind of good character development. Mm. You do see that kind of the the shine starting to... uh, 
wear off for him and he, you know he's just woken up he's got his little notebook of like pop culture references he needs to look, look up which is very sweet and it, it's kind of nice to go back and like look at him as this like big Labrador puppy just kind of like bumbling through the world but the thing that I really like about this film and I don't really particularly like this film but the thing that I do like is um getting to see the cogs turning in Steve Rogers' head and the way he's realising that the things that he was fighting for were a lie and the people that he thought were the good guys are actually the bad guys. Mm -hmm. I think the kind of characterisation of him as a man out of time, this is the film where it really starts to strengthen and the main comparison point I've had for Captain America in terms of superhero films is with Superman. So he's similarly big blue boy scout. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think this does a really great job of introducing him to the kind of ambiguity of the modern world than something like Man of Steel does with Superman. Chris Evans' characterization of Cap is probably one of the strongest elements of this film, as much as I do love all of the kicking. It's some good <laughs> kicking. Batrock the Leaper, right there. <laughs> How did they make Batrock the Leaper cool? <laughs> they did. And, well, they managed to make all these characters cool. I think that this is secretly the best Black Widow film. She's fantastic in oh, this. She's so good. And that they, they have a good couple of character scenes in there before the, uh, the flying fortresses and the targeting computers takes way. <laughs> so we have Greg Evans here saying... Easily one of the strongest Marvel films to date, but I would recommend Ed Brubaker's comic book series above the film. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Ed Brubaker yes. being one of those comic book writers who really didn't want to write superhero <laughs> comics at all, really. So that is definitely more of a political thriller. Espionage uh, in- is really his sort of thing. Exactly. Or crime. He's fantastic. He loves crime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cam? From Nick H. It's great, but Civil War is better as it has personal stakes for so many characters and the action is tighter. Yeah, it's, Civil War is almost a better Winter Soldier film as well, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. We have this one, Frustrated Genius. It's brilliant. Head, head and Shoulders is the best serious Marvel film. 4-3. 4 is great, but more fun. Uh, the lift scene is superb in its way. It's small scale and contained. The fight scenes are visceral and believable. Yeah, that lift scene is like top notch. Probably one of the most creative fight scenes Marvel's ever done. I think. Exactly. Thrank Also, Is he on your list, Hannah? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he kicks the shield up like it's a skateboard. It's the best. <laughs> and to finish off, we have Sean Alexander saying, while on its own, the ideas of Hydra work well. When inserted into the MCU, it really had little impact as Hydra were beaten off screen by the next movie. Surprisingly, the best impact it had was on the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV show, which reinvigorated to the show and I didn't watch a single episode of Agents yeah, of S.H.I.E.L.D. I will die defending Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh wow, okay. Oh, wow, I've got a super fan. Yeah. <laughs> I, hear Agent, I hear Agent Carter's good as well. Agent Carter's very good. It's better than Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. But, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I do like that. So well. let's finish off with is this the best Marvel movie or do we have another one that we suggest instead? Black Panther. Ooh. <laughs> uh, my favourite is Thor Ragnarok. You know, my favourite, I think... The I think Infinity War might be up there for me, to be honest. But Black Panther certainly is the best solo film, I think. I mean, if we're going on like the best kind of like origin, you know, solo thing, I think it probably is Black Panther. But for me, like in terms of pure enjoyment, Ragnarok is definitely oh, yeah. definitely my favourite. I've never felt more pure enjoyment than when Okoye snatched her own wig and used it as a weapon. <laughs> <laughs> and on that bombshell Campbell A. Hannah, thank you so much for joining me this week. Next week we have Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil and Vile, which is Zac Efron uh, as 
Ted Bundy. Vox Lux, Natalie Portman as a pop star with a soundtrack by the late Scott Walker, in fact. And for Film Club, we have Lee Daniels' The Paperboy with Nicole Kidman and Zac Efron. A bit of a, a trashy drama there. Let us know what you think of the usual channels via Twitter at Truth and Movies, email at truthandmovies at tclondon.com and at the comments section at lwis.com slash podcast. Thank you for listening. I'm Michael Eder, and as always, this has been a 7 Digital production. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.